sometimes we are faced with conflict. Today we're going to talk about conflict, even though it's not the conflict of war, but it's a war within ourselves. How do you handle conflict? Uh, when faced with moral conflict, especially, are you more like jello, kind of wiggle a little and waver a little, or are you rock hard? Are you more like rock candy? When it comes to taking a stand for what you believe in, how do you handle conflict? And we're going we're gonna to look at Jesus handling some conflict today in Mark chapter 3. But before we get to our text, um, there are several ways you can handle conflict. One is conflict avoidance, where you're very passive and you give in. You give in to what you know is wrong and you're not willing to do the right thing. And it could show up in your parenting. It could show up in your finances. It could be uh, in your uh, relationship. It could be in your marriage. You're not willing to attack an issue and inside you know that you should be. But you would rather keep the peace and not disrupt the boat than take a stand for what is right. Tammy and I, for her 40th birthday, we got to go on a cruise, the only cruise we've ever been on. I found really some cheap deal, and we went on it, and we, we had a horrible time. And then we got off of the cruise and as we're getting off, uh, because I'm so cheap, I bought, you know, the tickets that were in the bottom of the boat. So we we're the very last to get off. And as we're exiting, there was a man that came out of his little cabin with his family in tow. And he was butting in line and he butted in line in front of a, an old man and an old woman. They were probably in their 70s. And the old man has been standing for an hour with a cane while this young man with his family was in their cabin when they weren't supposed to be in their cabin. They were supposed to already have been in line, but the young man didn't want to wait. So he comes up and he butts in line. Now I'm about four back from this and I'm watching this. And suddenly this young man starts heaving his chest and he's he is almost headbutting this old man because the old man took this conflict and he wasn't going to avoid it. He said, hey, I've been waiting in line for an hour. That's the end of the line. And this young man started to swear and cuss and get his chest up like he was going to hit this old man. Well, I'm in the back and my adrenaline is like this. And I'm like, okay, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Finally, I couldn't do anything more but to go and confront this man. And, you know, then we get, you know, he's like, ooh, and I'm like, ooh. And, and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I haven't actually physically fought anybody in a long time. My adrenaline is running. And finally, you know, they bring the ship stewards, and they, they kick him off the, the boat, which we all thought was wrong. You know, they act he actually got what he wanted. He got off the boat. And the steward just said, well, he didn't use these words. He used more colorful language. But he basically said, we want that man out of here. His family has to wait in line, but he's off the boat. And, you know, and it was just like, okay, what was the right thing to do? Did I do the right thing? Did I engaged. I engaged. I could have let this old man get hit. But something inside of me said, I am not willing to do that. I am going to engage. 
but sometimes the conflict's not that great and we avoid conflict. The other thing is just to deny conflict. Like there's an elephant in the room in your marriage, in your finances, or in your parenting, and you're just willing to tiptoe around it all the time instead of really addressing the issue. Or we rationalize the conflict away. This is what Chuck Swindoll said. I'm not on a first name basis, so maybe I should call him Charles Swindoll. (laughs) But this is what Chuck said. To rationalize is to allow my mind to find reasons to excuse what my spirit knows is wrong. Is allowing my mind to find reasons to excuse what my spirit inside me knows is wrong. Uh, Someone once said this, once we soothe our conscience by calling it something, by calling something a necessary evil, it begins to look more and more necessary and less and less evil. See, instead of taking a stand, we've started to look for a seat with a view. We don't take a stand anymore on so many things. I don't know if it's because we feel powerless to, but we just, we stop taking a stand. See, there are moral and ethical decisions all around us. So how do we handle the conflict in our parenting? How do we handle um, uh, the conflict in our marriage, in our finances, with our coworkers, with our strained family relationships? Do any of you have strained family relationships? Okay, Tammy and I are the only honest ones. Or, okay, we have strained family relationships. Do you tiptoe around it and just put up with it? I mean, that's a decision you can make. Or if it's something that really violates something, are you willing to take a stand? The Bible has so much to say about conflict. So we're going to jump and... See that conflict happens with people and with circumstances. Uh, It can happen within ourselves. Even making moral and ethical decisions, there is conflict all around you. There was last week, and there's going to be conflict this week. What are you doing with it? How are you handling it? So, got your Bibles? Turn to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to read the first six verses. Now, remember last week, Jesus's. Uh, disciples were going through the grain field and they were getting the wheat and they were doing this and they were guilty of working on the Sabbath and everybody was mad at him because he was violating the Sabbath. And now it's either the same day or it's uh, another Sabbath day and he finds himself in a synagogue and it starts off, again he entered the synagogue, that is Jesus. And a man was there with a withered hand. How many of you have seen those gnarled hands that people will have? When, you know, and, and it's just like they're, they're useless. You can't do anything with a gnarled hand. So this is a man who is at synagogue, he's at church, and his hand is all crippled up. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might what? The text says accuse him. They're looking for a reason to hang him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, he sees him in the crowd and he says, get up, come forward, stand right here, come here. And then he says to the Pharisees that are watching, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? Remember last week we talked about legalism and then we talked about 
the freedom of understanding the spirit of the law, then, then when we have the, the spirit of the law, we can do and we're totally free. And so Jesus is asking about the spirit of the Sabbath. Is it for good or for evil? To do, to do harm or to, to do uh, healing? And then they were silent. They didn't answer. And verse 5 says, and he looked around at them with what? Oh, Jesus was hacked off. You can be in conflict. You can be anger. Anger is an emotional response. It's what you do with your anger determines whether it was righteous or sinful. But you can't say, I can't get angry. Because you will get angry. You should get angry. When something is wrong, there is a dominion sensor inside of you that God put that says, there's something wrong here and I'm upset and I'm angry about it. It's okay to be angry. It's what you do in your anger. So Jesus is angry. And why? Because it says he looked around them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And then he says to the man, so you got this, this man is, is his object lesson. So there's this man like this, and Jesus then says this, stretch out your hand. And you can imagine this man just starting to do this, and suddenly it's restored to perfect health. What, a, what an illustration. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And verse 6 says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy Jesus. That's like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, Donald Trump having, having tea today to figure out how to kill Billy Graham. Two people that hate each other coming together to figure out how to kill a common enemy of theirs. And Jesus knew he knew that that's what they were going to do. Now I want you to see some highlights in the passage. First of all, he went. He, he, Jesus went to church even though, even though he knew it was going to be the OK Corral. He knew there was going to be confrontation, but it did not dissuade him from going and, and doing the right thing. And then he noticed the need, and he saw the fault finders. And Jesus got mad at their stubborn hearts, but Jesus still dealt with the need. So here are three things I want you to ingrain in your brain and you will have for the rest of your life. Here it is, the application. Number one, you do the right thing. This is how you handle conflict. You do the right thing. Right versus wrong. Do you realize when somebody says right versus wrong that there has to be a standard? In order to establish right, there has to be a standard. Our culture today, they say there are no standards. No matter what the media says, truth is not relative. Uh, there's only one standard, and that's God's standard. There's not Oprah's standard. It's not Dr. Phil's standard. It's not Bon Jovi's standard. 
We have a standard between right and wrong. And Jesus did the right thing. And you have to say, what is the right thing? In your marriage, in your parenting, in your conflict avoidance, and you're like, okay, I'm tired of this elephant in the room, and we're going to address the issue that we have so that we can move on. Whether it's with a coworker or a boss, you're going to do the right thing. What is the right thing? Just those words, the right thing, means that there's a standard. Dysfunction has become rampant because nobody compares their behavior with God's behavior. Let me say that again. Dysfunction in this world out here has become rampant because people don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore, do they? Can I hear an amen? Man, we have to go to God's Word for that standard. You can't do the right thing unless you know what the right thing is. And there has to be a standard. And you can't say, well, it's okay for you to do that, but it's not okay for me to do that. Wait, 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 wait. There's a standard, and God has given it to us. Now, there are reasons why we don't do right. Maybe we don't know what, the, what right is. Um, if you continue to tell children that they're just sexual animals that evolved... Where, where does that thinking lead a, 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 a child to? I'll tell you. To explore things that they aren't to be exploring because it's outside of God's boundaries. You can't tell a child you're just a sexual animal. Here, have a condom. That, but that's what our, our, our society is doing. So then they go and they get into trouble. Their heart is broken. They, they start uh, misunderstanding what uh, sex is and suddenly they think sex is love. And they don't even know what love is because they have equated love to sex. And so they want love. So you have kids that are, are pretending to be grown-ups when in fact they're, they're not grown-ups at all. They don't know what right is. I'm not going to throw those kids under the bus. If you tell a fifth grader or a fourth grader or a third grader or a seventh grader that you evolved and that you're an accident of the cosmos and you have no value except for what value you can bring out of your life and you're a sexual animal and you're going to just go off on your impulses and you have no such thing as self-control or dignity and you're just going to go out there and we're going to teach you how to play with yourself. We're going to teach you how to have this. These kids don't even know the difference between right and wrong anymore. Well, how can you watch two and a half men as a child and think that you're going to get any kind of standard of right and wrong? Reasons why we don't write sometimes, uh, reasons why we don't do right is just because we're lazy. It's too much work. It's too much effort. You know, the society's already gone downhill. You know, I'm just, I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to even try to address it. Or maybe the reason why we don't do right is because we've become pleasers of men instead of pleasers of God. Or maybe we don't want to do the right thing because we're rebellious. That's why we don't want to do the right thing. But I want you to realize the way to handle conflict is that Jesus did the right thing. You and I need to do the right thing. Now here's the second part. You do the right thing for the right reason. 
That comes out of our text, out of verses 4 and 5. Jesus did the right thing. He says, is it best to heal on the Sabbath or to do harm on the Sabbath? Jesus was going to do the right thing for the right reason. Doing right for the sake of right. Because sometimes you could do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Sometimes we do the right thing because it's going to give us position and posture and maybe rewards or accolades or maybe we're going to get prestige because we do the right thing and the only reason we're doing the right thing is for the wrong reason i call those oreo cookie people their outward behavior looks right but inside they're doing it all for the wrong reason do you remember in the movie uh oh the christmas movie with sandra bullock while you were sleeping. Have you ever seen that movie, While You Were Sleeping? Do you remember the guy, the hero, why he knocked the bird out of the nest so he could rescue it and be the hero? Do you remember that part of the movie? The squirrel, sorry. He knocked the squirrel out of the nest so that he could rescue it and be the hero. See, you can do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. You could be a tattletale. Now, if you're telling on your brothers or sisters, or maybe, let's get personal, somebody at work is doing something that is unethical and wrong are you doing it because your motivation is to get them in trouble ha 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 are you concerned really about their well-being and maybe the safety issue of others um, sometimes we do the right thing because it's manip- we've been manipulated i actually know a parenting course i can't believe this they, they suggest to the parents that the way you get your children to behave is to pay them money. This man said that he offered his daughter $10,000 if she remained a virgin until her wedding night. So guess what? She got her $10,000. Did she do the right thing for the right reason? Did she do it because it was just right and and she was being obedient to God or was her motivation 10,000 other reasons? We we don't know. But think of what it did to that child. You told the child, I don't think you have enough self-control just to do right because it's the right thing. Because I've asked you to do it. No, I'm going to pay you to do it. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, but you, as a follower of Christ, you need to do the right thing for the right reason. You can spank a child out of anger, and that's wrong motivation. Or you can spank a child because you're disciplining them, because you're training their heart, because you don't want them playing with the light socket again. Right? Where your little thump on the hand hurts, and they look at you like, oh, what'd you do? Well, much better to do that than to avoid the conflict and allow them to really, or if you're angry at them and you hit them in anger, now you've crossed the line. Now your motivation is, I'm mad at you and I'm going to get you. Boy, that's child abuse. If you're, if you're spanking a child because you're angry and you're mad at them, and so your motivation matters. So you do the right thing, like Jesus did, you do it for the right reason. You have to do it for the right reason. Now, here's the third thing. You do the right thing for the right reason. 
regardless of the consequences. Regardless of the consequences. When I was a young man and I was engaged to this woman, or I was about to get engaged, I had gone to Oklahoma and I was working wheat harvest for my cousin. And uh, he would run the combine and I would come behind the combine with a plow, you know, a day or two later. Because in Oklahoma, if you don't get the plow in the ground when you still have some moisture, it's going to be like plowing concrete. So he's off doing his thing and I'm off doing my thing. Well, on this one particular day, I had had lunch or dinner, what we call on the farm dinner. All the farmhands come in, we all eat. You know, you eat a lot. And then you go back out to your tractor and you go out to your field and you start your work. Well, this particular time, and I was in my uh, rent, not my rented, but uh, my, my uh, cousin's truck. I was trying to earn money to buy a ring. Can you show everybody the ring I bought with that money? There it is. That's the ring I bought 33 years ago with the money from this summer. I was working in Oklahoma. Well, I got out of the truck. I hopped in the four-wheel drive. Now I'm pulling a nine-bottom plow. That's a pretty big swath, nine-bottom, nine shears. And so I'm, you know, pedal to the metal, and I'm going off to the field to begin where I left off. And I look behind me, and lo and behold, the ninth plow grabbed the bumper of my cousin's truck. And I am pulling my cousin's truck through the field while it's in park. Uh, Yeah, too much lunch. So for the next six hours, I'm driving in this John Deere four-wheel drive, nine-bottom plow, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I need this money so I can buy a ring for my fiance because I'm uh, when I get done with the end of the summer I get to propose to her that's the plan but I don't know what damage I just did to my cousin's truck I just pulled his truck through a field at least 50 to 75 yards in park and I'm trying to think of how much a transmission costs and I'm trying to think of all this stuff And I have six hours before I see my cousin. What am I going to do? Am I going to lie? Am I going to move the truck? What am I going to do? Is it going to work? Am I going to make up excuses? Am I going to just avoid it, pretend it didn't happen? Am I going to deny it? I did the right thing for the right reason. And the first thing I did when I saw him, I said, David, I have some bad news I'm going to have to probably buy you a new transmission for your pickup and he said what happened what'd you do i told him as i was going out to the field the last part of the plow grabbed the bumper of the truck and i pulled it like 75 yards and you know what he said (laughs) don't worry about it that doesn't always happen that way in jesus's case That is the day they decided to destroy Jesus. That was the day they decided to work with the the Roman government, the Herodians that were in power. That was the day that they changed their tune towards Jesus. 
it doesn't always work in your favor like it did for me that day where I said, hey, I did this. I did the right thing for the right reason and I was willing to live with the consequences because that's what you do. You have to take a stand. One other time, Tammy and I were living in Prescott, Arizona. My girls are nine years old, seven years old, and five years old, and we've gone to see a movie, and we're sitting down near the front, and there are some college-age boys behind us about three rows, and the movie is about to start. They're showing the previews, and these guys, every time there's a girl up on the screen, these guys are making lewd comments about the girls and what they'd like to do to the ones up on the screen. So I turn to Tammy, and I say, Tammy, I'd like you to take the girls and you go out into the lobby, come back in five minutes. And she's like, but why? The movie's about... I said, just leave. So she dutifully got the girls up with their popcorn in there and, and went out to the lobby. And then I turned around and I had to look this way because they were sitting behind me. And I looked at them and I said, my daughters are in this movie theater. How dare you talk like that in the hearing of my little children? I said, I want you to shut up Sit down and watch the movie and not another word that's lewd or crude or derogatory. Now inside I'm like this. Because these are four college men and I'm looking at them and I've got my finger pointed. And I sat down, probably shaking, wondering what they're going to do to me. They're going to go scrape my car with their key. You're going to take a knife and poke the tire? Surprisingly, they didn't do anything. They didn't say another word for the rest of the movie. We have to do the right thing for the right reason, regardless of the consequences. There are risks involved when you confront a wife. There's risk involved when you confront a child. There's risk involved when you confront a boss or a judge or a lawyer, or a coworker, There's going to be risk involved. But Jesus did the right thing for the right reason. Now, you have to check your motive. Am I doing the right thing for the right reason? Today, the whole world is so ambivalent, and we're just running off of relativism. You see where it takes our world. Where are the men and women that are willing to take a stand instead of looking for a seat for a view? We have to be different than the world because the one that we follow, the one who lives inside of us, loves righteousness. He loves grace, but he loves righteousness. You do the right thing for the right reason regardless of the consequences. I hope that phrase will stick with you and you can come back to this Mark passage time and time again that Jesus did the right thing for the right reason regardless of the consequences. And he knew that from that day forward he was heading to the cross. He knew what his healing of this man, but he still did the right thing. As Christians, we have to find our courage today. We have to not be passive about righteousness. We have to call black, black, and white, white. We have to say abortion is murder in the womb. 
We have to be able to say homosexuality, according to the Bible, is wrong. We have to be able to take a stand. We love people where they're at and we love them to the cross and we love them to forgiveness and we love them to restitution and restoration, but we still can't be ambivalent towards this. This is the word of life. And when we live by it, we have freedom, but we also have to live with some consequences of doing the right thing for the right reason, regardless of the consequences. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have put this passage in your word to invigorate us and to encourage us and to embolden us that we are to be righteous for your sake. That's the only thing that we need to do. And that even if the world calls white black and black white, we still know what the real color is because you are our standard. You are the one that defines truth. And it is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If it was wrong a hundred years ago, it's wrong today. If it's wrong today, it's going to be wrong a hundred years from now. Help us to be grounded and to understand that we have to be in your word so we can be filled with your righteousness, not our own, our own thinking. So this week, as we have to deal with conflict, conflict in our parenting, conflict in our marriage, conflict wherever it's at, that we will do the right thing for the right reason and we'll do it with your grace and with your love. I thank you. We thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.